So I want you to think about the word uh, metamorphosis. And I'm curious what's the very first thing that pops in your mind. So for me, or if you're like me, the first thing I think of is a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. And then the second thought I have when I think of metamorphosis is I think of a tadpole turning into a frog. But what I did, I looked up uh, some lesser known creatures uh, to help you think about metamorphosis. So the first one is a flamingo. And I didn't know this. Maybe you did. But I didn't know that when they're little, when they're small, they, they start out white. I didn't know that. Uh, here's another one that's odd. A, a peacock spider. I've never even heard of this creature before. But that's how much it changes uh, from when it's tiny until it's older. And then the third one is a giant panda. Big change, as you can see. Big metamorphosis. And strangest of all. <laughs> sliced alone. <laughs> All right. So today's message is on metamorphosis. We've been working our way through the book of Acts and we started several weeks back. Today we're on chapter nine of the book of Acts. And uh, it's about a man named Saul who experiences a complete transformation, a metamorphosis. So our three points today are going to be turning, learning and earning. And if you have a Bible, you can be turned into the uh, book of Acts, chapter 9. And if not, you can just follow along. And and my my encouragement would be that you read it at some point this week. In fact, if you read the whole book, you get the whole flow of the whole book. But again, our message today is called Metamorphosis. Our three points are turning, learning, and earning. So let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you in all things. You are faithful and you're an awesome God. Lord, a long time ago, uh, you reached down and you changed the life of uh, someone who was your enemy at the time. And we're able to read that story. But Lord, uh, as awesome as that was, um, this story can speak to us today, all these thousands of years later, Lord, and it can change our lives. And so we pray for that, God. We pray that we would hear with our hearts as well as our ears. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave here, uh, by the end of this message, we would be changed, Lord. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point is turning. And uh, as I mentioned a few times already this morning, uh, we have this man who's named Saul. And he was on his way to persecute and arrest followers of Christ. He was on his way to a place called Damascus. But what happens is he ends up doing a complete 180 degree turn. So let's look at the story. Uh, but first, uh, you need a little bit of background. Okay, so the first time that Saul is mentioned, actually Marcus mentioned him a couple of weeks ago when he was preaching in chapter 7 of Acts. And so the first time he's mentioned is uh, when Stephen was martyred, when he gave up his life for Christ. And he was about to be put to death by stoning. And so we start in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. It says, then they cast him out. So that's Stephen that they cast out. It says, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So the very first mention of Saul is that he's a callous onlooker. Uh, Here's this innocent man about to be put to death. And Saul is just letting people put their cloaks by his feet. Like, hey, I'll watch your stuff for you. You know, you go do the job. And uh, in fact, when you read all the details, 
in the chapter previous to this, in Acts chapter 6, it actually mentions that Stephen's face looked like the face of an angel. Now, that's pretty innocent. Okay, We had a hostile crowd. Um, they pick up uh, rocks that are about the size of baseballs because uh, if they're too small, they won't inflict any injury. But if they're too large, they would knock the person out or kill them quickly. And stoning, uh, they wanted it to be uh, a very long and painful process. Uh, they stood a few, you know, feet away uh, at a bit of a distance, which means that Saul was also nearby enough where he could hear Stephen's final words. We see that in Acts chapter seven, verse 60. It says, and falling to his knees, this is Stephen falling to his knees. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, imagine that he's being pelted with rocks, but his final words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And Saul heard those words. The very next thing we read about is chapter eight in Acts. And we see in verse one, it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. So we find out that on the heels of Stephen being put to death, suddenly this great persecution arises against those who would follow Christ. But God's word continued to spread and lives continued to be changed. Now that brings us to Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest And asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way. Men or women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So let's break that up a little bit. Verse 1. It tells you Saul's attitude. And it says he was still breathing threats and murder. If you have King James it says threats and slaughter. He's like a bull stamping around. uh, And he's snorting. And all he sees is red. Uh, he wanted to mow down these followers of Christ. He's angry. He's vicious. But he's also got a fresh memory of Stephen's last words. And they're still ringing in his ears. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Let's look at the specifics of, of what uh, Saul did. It says in verse 1 there, it says he went to the high priest. Verse 2 says that he asked him and what he was looking for was authority. Uh, so that if he found any, and then more specific in case you missed it, men or women. So he did not discriminate. If he found any, he might bring them bound. And let's think about it. For what purpose, y'all? Uh, to intimidate, to strike fear. To torture them and if need be to put them to death for following Jesus. Now what you need to know about Saul is this. Uh, He was a high ranking Pharisee. He was a high ranking uh, religious authority among the Jews. But he was also a Roman citizen uh, by birth. Uh, So he was respected by the Jews. But he was also respected by the non-Jews. The Gentiles. And here this man. Who was respected by Jew and Gentile alike. This man was spearheading. This uh, rebellion against those. Who were following Jesus. And really if you think about it. It was a rebellion against God. And he was the leader. 
And he had these terrible plans and the authority to carry out his plans. But God had another plan. So we see this in chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, we're talking about Saul now. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. What an amazing story. Let's go back and look at verse four. Uh, the voice says this. Why are you persecuting me? Don't miss that. Why are you persecuting me? And verse five, he, you know, tells him who he is, identifies himself. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. There's an important principle here regarding sin. And uh, this is probably a good place to stop here and just think about it. Is that when we sin against specific individuals, in fact, we are sinning against God. Okay. We want to think about that. When we do something unfair to an individual, when we say something hurtful, when we say words that would mar someone else's character, we actually are sinning against God. King David wrote about this uh, years before this point. So uh, most of you will remember, and some of you may not know this, but King David really messed up bad when he was king. Uh, he saw this lady named Bathsheba. He had an affair with her. She gets pregnant, so he arranges to have her husband murdered. So within a few days, he's uh, committed adultery and he's committed murder to hide, uh, you know, the, the, uh, his sin. Then later he's confronted by one of the prophets. And later on, David wrote about that confrontation. And this is what he wrote in Psalm 51, beginning at verse 1. This is King David. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Now what's freshly on his mind is the affair and the murder. Have mercy on me, O God. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When you and I sin against specific people, we actually sin against Almighty God. And that should give us pause. We should all consider that. So we pick up in verse 7. We're in chapter 9, still in Acts. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Imagine how they were feeling. Uh, verse 8. Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were open. He saw nothing. So now he's been stricken blind. And it says. So they led him by the hand. And brought him into Damascus. Okay. Verse 7 said. Hearing the voice. But seeing no one. So. These are in the days y'all. When the church. Uh, when the foundation of the church was being laid. And so some people would disagree with me, but I'm just going to tell you what I've seen in Scripture and what I found um, just an experience in life. Is back in those days when God was establishing the church, uh, here and there, it was not unheard of for God to actually speak in an audible voice. And here and there, Jesus actually made physical appearances. 
But over time, that's changed where it's much, 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 much more likely when you and I want to hear from God that first you have to sit and be still. And that's difficult in our days, right? But to sit and be still. And then sometimes you'll hear what is called a still, small voice. And it may not even sound like a voice in your ears. In fact, I can't say that I've ever heard an audible voice at all. But what I have uh, felt at times is a prompting from God. And in those quiet times when I'm still and I'm seeking his direction, there's times when he'll bring somebody to mind that either has a need or maybe I need to go make something right. Or sometimes he'll he'll bring to mind uh, maybe something I've done or omitted to do and I need to go make that right. But understand, y'all, that God does still speak. Don't hear me wrong on that. God definitely speaks to us. But part of it is we have to cooperate, right? Sometimes we just got to be still and give him time to be able to uh, give him the opportunity to communicate to us, okay? Uh, it also tells us this in verse eight. It says, it says they led him by the hand. So here's Paul. He can't, I'm sorry, Saul. Uh, uh, and later on, they called him Paul. So let me just clarify that real quick. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul uh, was his name that he was known by, by the Romans. And so it's just real common back, back in those days to, to have a, you know, a, a couple of different names, how you were known. Okay. So let me just throw that out in case I mentioned Paul uh, instead of Saul. It's the same guy. But it says here that he was blinded and they led him by the hand. Okay. Think about how his day started, right? Because his day had definitely changed by this point, right? The authority he had and the task he had already set out to do. Uh, and he had already been doing this. He had already been persecuting believers. And now he had the authority to go to Damascus. And on his way there, this conversation happens with Almighty God, with Jesus Christ himself. And now he's blind and he's being led by the hand. Okay, this guy had had uh, a remarkable day. Saul began to experience a metamorphosis. Saul began to experience a complete change from the inside out. And he was turning from his former self into someone different. And here's what I want you to grab hold on right now is that the same thing is what God offers to you and me. God doesn't just want us to come to church and hear a message and think, great message, preacher. You know, but I do hope you say that. Okay? In fact, you can line up afterwards. No, I'm teasing. But, but more importantly, more importantly, God wants each one of us to experience a metamorphosis, a complete change. He wants us to become more like him and less like ourselves. Saul was public enemy number one of Christianity. He, and then God changed him into the top church planner beyond the borders of Israel. His entire course of life had changed. Now, I think most of you know that for years I was on staff with Campus Life. It was high school ministry, the high school kids on, on campuses, school campuses. And I worked with a guy named Shane O'Hare, and a lot of you know Shane. Uh, and let me just say Shane and I have stories and so I, I actually contacted him and asked him permission to tell this story, okay? We had another guy on staff named Wayne. So Shane and Wayne. And Wayne was just, you know, down-to-earth country boy. Shane and Wayne 
would go out frogging sometimes right there in Bayou Cane. So they'd get in their little piro and they would go out in the water at night and they liked to catch frogs with their hands. And so, uh, you know, their modus operandi, as they say, was uh, uh, Wayne would paddle slowly and then Shane would have one of those little headlamps on his head and he would lean out over the, the uh, you know, the piro of their canoe and he would catch onto the frog with his bare hands. Well, one night they're out. I mean, they've been doing this for a while. One night they're out and they couldn't find any frogs and they were bored. And you know how guys are. So all of a sudden they saw this itty bitty little alligator. <laughs> and so they get this idea, you know, as guys tend to do. And uh, and so here's the thing uh, you need to know about alligators. OK, alligators mouths uh, are tremendously strong on the way down. But once they're shut, they have almost no strength to reopen their mouth if something is restricting that movement. So the idea was little bitty alligator. All we got to do is get him by the mouth. And it was itty bitty. It was a little one. Right. And so there's Wayne paddling Shane in. And Shane's leaning over the, you know, the the end of the canoe and success. He grabs the the uh, the alligator, holds him up, takes a picture, you know, and uh, the thrill for the night. Okay, well. Uh, testosterone starts setting in, you know, and, uh, they go out a different night and they're, and they're out there. There's plenty of frogs, but they see an alligator that's just a little bit bigger. <laughs> and you know how it is with guys, right? Is that, you know, once you've done it once or twice, then you start thinking, well, how far can I go? <laughs> and how, how big can these things get? Well, it got to where one night they saw an alligator that was three feet long. Okay. By the way, kids, do not try this at home. All right. Now, uh, as uh, as Wayne is uh, is paddling up, you know, uh, Shane and Shane's having second thoughts. He's looking at it. But, you know, you got to be committed. Shane grabs this thing by the mouth and several things happened all at once. This three foot alligator whipped its tail. And so it broke free from his hands. Uh, but it also rocked the boat. And all of a sudden, directly behind him, Shane hears sploosh. <laughs> he says, when he turned around and looked, he said it was like one of those old movies where they run the action forwards and then backwards immediately. <laughs> he said Wayne was out of that boat and back in so fast he almost didn't even get wet. Okay. Wayne was going down and then he had a change of direction. <laughs> okay. He had a turning point, right? And that's exactly what happened with Saul, which brings us to our second point, y'all. Saul began learning. Now that he was a different man, Saul began learning about his newfound savior. So meanwhile, the story shifts. So we start reading about this guy named Ananias. So we go to Acts chapter nine, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay uh, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit, y'all. Verse 10, it mentions this guy named Ananias. And God speaks to him through a vision. Okay. In verse 11, it tells you some of the things that, that God instructed him. He says in verse 11, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. I'm going to read that again. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. 
Now think about it, y'all. By this point, Saul had developed a reputation. And no doubt, Ananias had heard of it. And he knew exactly who God is talking about. The other thing is, God also tells him this. That God has given Saul instructions already. That he's actually given Saul a vision. And he tells him that uh, I've already told Saul on your behalf that a man named Ananias is going to come and lay his hands on him so that he can regain his sight. Now, God was clearly instructing Ananias to go to Saul, uh, to go to the chief enemy of the cross and to do a good work on his behalf. Now, his response I'm talking about Ananias. His response was predictable. Acts 9 verse 13. But Ananias, I'm sorry, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he hesitates to obey. It's like he's reminding God, you know, Lord, (laughs) do you realize who you're talking about? Okay. And God knew exactly what he was doing. So we see in verse 15 says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Let me ask you a question, y'all. When a friend of yours comes to Christ, aren't you excited about it? I mean, when somebody you love and like them, okay? Uh, well, when somebody like that comes to Christ, don't you get excited? Well, let me ask the reverse. What about someone that you don't like so much? What about someone who's done you wrong? When a person like that becomes interested in Christ, or let me bring it home, what if somebody like that were to show up here on a given Sunday? Would you be happy about it? Or would you pray for that person and pray that God would do a work in their hearts? Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I love that he calls him that. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. And by the way, that's kind of an interesting thing because Ananias wasn't there. And yet he knew that detail. Okay, so the spirit had already told him, right? But he says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. All right, so let's break that down, y'all. Uh, verse 17, um, it says that uh, he would regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So at this moment, this was actually the moment of conversion. Now, he'd already had that turn where he got off the road that when he was heading to Damascus. But now these days he'd been waiting. And now at this point, when Ananias came and laid his hands on him, that's when the scales fell off his eyes and he actually received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. So this is the actual moment of conversion. And I love it that Ananias, a little bit while ago, he was talking to God about, do you know who this guy is? And now he's calling him Brother Saul. Because when people come to Christ, 
That's when we become part of Christ's family, right? That's what unites us. Saul did three things that were significant here. And so uh, I want to go through those. Uh, Verse 18, it mentions he was baptized. Okay, so he identified himself with Christ, with the Christian movement, and he identified himself with believers. Okay, so uh, in case you're a little shaky on what baptism's about, baptism does not save you. Saul was already saved. How do we know that? Because the spirit had already come in and had already indwelt him. So he was already signed and sealed. Uh, uh, He had already received salvation, but he rose up to be baptized. So he, you know, actually was in the water. And that was an outward symbol of what God had already done in his heart. So first he was baptized. Second, he took food. So he had not eaten until he saw Ananias. It had been a few days. And so now he didn't want to neglect himself physically. So he ate. And then uh, the third thing it mentions is he was with the disciples. Uh, he wanted to be connected, not just identified, but connected to other believers. All right. So here's a thought for you. If you ever thought, I want to be more like the Apostle Paul. Well, of those three, all you got to do is eat. Okay. <laughs> and you've already done one out of three. Right. But the other ones is about being identified, you know, being identified with uh, with Christ and his body and being connected because it's so easy to get disconnected from your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not what God wants. Okay. Later, uh, as the Apostle Paul wrote back on these days, uh, he wrote this in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. You see that? He's talking about his early days. So he's saying at first, He wanted to be alone. Okay. Verse 17, he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit. So during that period of time, Saul took time to get to know his savior, to get to know almighty God. And he also was taking time to learn the word of God. So let's talk about learning. So my daughter, Emily, uh, for about a year and a half, taught school at Woodlawn High School. And she was a Spanish teacher there. And so uh, let me just put it this way. Her, her classes were rough, okay? A lot of kids misbehaved. She loved them. She had fun with them. I think I've told you a, a story or two about that. But this one has to do with learning. And so uh, what she told them when, when, the, when it came time for the first test, she said there's going to be a bonus at the end of the test. And she said, if you've been paying attention in class you will get that answer right. And so the reason why she did that is because she's trying to motivate them to pay attention in class because a lot of them wouldn't. The question was this, who is your Spanish teacher? And there was a multiple choice, Ms. Lopez, Ms. Gomez, Ms. Diaz, or Ms. Castro. (laughs) I contacted her the other day just to make sure I got these statistics right. Okay. 40% of her class got that question wrong, okay? And they'd been in class for weeks, right? A few weeks go by, and she gives them another test, and she tells them ahead of time, if you've been paying attention in class, you will get the bonus question right. So they all start, wait, 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 wait. And they're looking at you, hey, what's your kid's name? And they go, Nico, Nico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're ready, we're ready. (laughs) They get to the bonus question, and it was this. Who... 
is your Spanish teacher? <laughs> Same question. And do you know, 10 kids still got it wrong, okay? Because they were not learning, right? But Saul was, y'all, he took the time to learn. He wanted to know Almighty God and he wanted to know his word, which brings us to our third point, y'all, earning. Um, now that he had had this life change, some of the disciples, with good reason, uh, they didn't trust Saul. And so he had to earn the right to be heard. He had to earn that trust from the disciples. So we pick up chapter 9, verse 20. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? So they were absolutely sure who it was. But the question was, is this guy for real? That's really what they're asking, y'all. And the truth is, the answer is yes and no. Yes, he's the same man, but he has experienced a metamorphosis. He is completely different from the inside out. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Hey, everybody, Paul had a past. God is able to forgive your past. Let that sink in because I have more conversations, males and females, young and old, and we're anchored sometimes by our sins of the past. It's exactly why Jesus went to the cross. It's already been paid for. If you've trusted Christ, that's all been forgiven. Saul had a past. Y'all, when you list the things he had done just against believers in Christ. And God washed away, forgave that past and changed the direction of his future. Do the same for you and me. Acts 9 verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples, so this is believers, the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Little by little, he earned their trust. And by this point, the followers of Christ were protecting him and making sure that he could get to safety. Even though they had no idea, eventually he was going to write two-thirds of the letters that we have in the New Testament. All they knew was, hey, he's our brother. And he has experienced a metamorphosis. Um, I don't usually do this, but I want to share one more story here before we get to our application. I had a good friend of mine a long time ago. Uh, and he was in the ministry. And uh, um, by all outward appearances, had a relationship with God. One day I was praying for this guy. And uh, remember I told you about sometimes God gives you a prompting, okay? I didn't hear a voice. But while I was praying for this guy, this friend of mine, the thought occurred to me that I could see him leaving the ministry altogether, okay? And that's not a sin because people change vocations. So sometimes God calls you into full-time ministry, sometimes you're not. So that's not a problem. But I had that thought. But right then, as I kept praying, I also had this thought. I could see him leaving the whole faith. I could see him leaving Christianity altogether. 
And that thought disturbed me. So the next time I saw him, I asked him, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing on the inside? How is your faith? And his answer was this. It's funny you should ask that because just in the last week or two, I've been doubting what I believe. Now, a few weeks later, he resigned from ministry. But here's the worst part of the story, y'all. And this is the part that has stuck with me for years. This is why I'm telling you the story. Is that another few weeks went by. And I saw him again. And I told him, dude, you must be in turmoil. You know, there you were in the ministry. And now you're not even sure what you believe. I mean, you must be just up at night trying to figure out, you know, what is true and, and who God is. And were you wrong all that time or were you right? The crucifixion, the resurrection, all those things. It's got to be keeping you up at night. And this is what he said, y'all. He said, there's almost been no change at all. Now, that leads us to our application today. The first thing, I have a question for you to ask yourself. And here's the question. Number one, am I experiencing a metamorphosis. And we're going to camp out on this question for a minute. I want you to think about this. And I want you to talk to God about this. But ask yourself. Uh, do you remember the moment. That you met Jesus Christ. You may not remember the date. Okay that's not the important thing. But do you remember the moment. When you realized you were a sinner. In need of a savior. Do you remember that moment. And you were undone. And you realized I need the savior. Something has to change. Do you remember that? Do you find that since that point, do you find that you want to know him better? Are you growing to love the things he loves? And do you find that over time you hate the things that he hates? Or, I mean, are you just kind of comfortable with it? Like almost no change at all. Number two. There's a verse I want you to consider. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what we've been talking about all morning. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Question number one was, am I experiencing a metamorphosis? Because here in verse 2 Corinthians 5.17... It says if anyone is in Christ, he should be experiencing something like that. Third question is this, to ask yourself and to ask God, am I sure that I'm actually in Christ? Now, I'd like you to close your eyes and just bow your heads. And I want you to think about that for a minute. And then I'm going to pray for you. I want you to have a, a conversation with God. Dear Lord, I thank you, God, you're an awesome God. I thank you that Lord Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead. Lord, I thank you that you offer mercy to your enemies. And you were able to reach down and save this guy named Saul, who became just a very visible apostle. But Lord, in the same way, you're able to change anyone in this room, anyone hearing this message, 
anyone hearing your words. Lord, you tell us if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Lord, I pray you would give clear understanding to everyone in this room, especially anyone who's unsure if he or she is in Christ. You would make them sure even right now, Lord, that they would call on your name. You would give them faith to trust the Savior, Christ who died for our sins and rose again and offers eternal life. Lord, you would give them a certainty that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside them, that their name has been sealed in the book of life, that this metamorphosis has begun. And Lord, for believers in this room, every one of us has an area where where we struggle, Lord, with sin, uh, where sin seems to get the best of us. And God, that's a whole different thing, Lord. But I pray, God, uh, that you would teach us to rely on you, to rely on the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us that strength and power to overcome, and that our lives would bring you glory. Lord, we thank you, God, because you are able and you are willing to do these things, Lord, to change us and make us more like you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, everyone, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week.